Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good evening, everybody. I know I said on the first Sunday of Advent that I'm like, you know, part of the reason I love Advent so much is I really think purple's my color, you know? Every third Sunday of Advent, though, I look in the mirror in the sacristy, I'm like, I don't know. I, I, the pink, it might be pink. I don't know. Deacon Rich, you look pretty good in pink. It might be your color, too. I, maybe not. I don't know. But apparently not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to get that from him later. Okay, so, all right, so here we are, third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday. That's what today is referred to as Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete comes from the entrance anaphon for this Mass. It's Latin for rejoice. We heard it in the uh, second reading there from St. Paul, rejoice. I say again, always rejoice. Okay, so this is Gaudete Sunday. This Sunday is meant to be marked by a certain level of exuberance, a certain level of joy and excitement for our salvation is is near at hand, right? So there's, there's a certain... I don't know, uh, I don't want to say solemnity because that means like heaviness, but there's a certain level of excitement that's to, meant to mark today. And you hear it all over the readings, especially that first reading from Zephaniah, who we don't tend to hear a lot from in, in the Sunday cycle of readings, but a beautiful minor prophet from the Old Testament. You hear Zephaniah saying, shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart. Fear not, O Zion. Be not discouraged. Man, this is just an exhortation to joy. But here's the question. Why? What reason does Zephaniah give as like our cause for joy? Why should we be joyful? What's going on? The prophet says it several times in this reading. It says, the Lord is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's among you. He's here. Okay, so there is a wrong way to interpret this scripture, and there's a, there's a uh, right way to interpret this scripture. So, uh, this is what we're going to be unpacking here tonight. So, uh, as, so the other night, I was, in, I, was in my, I was in the rectory, I was in my room watching a little TV, and I was scrolling through the channels, I was working on a few Christmas cards, and uh, you know, they've got Christmas movies on every channel, feels like, and I, I stumbled across one of my favorites, Will Ferrell's Elf. Who's seen Elf? Any Elf fans? Good, okay, all right. So I was watching Elf, and it got to this scene where uh, Buddy the Elf, right? So if you've never seen the movie, spoiler alert, human raised by elves in the North Pole, and uh, now he's out of the North Pole in New York City. Okay, so um, he's, he's in a department store, and the manager of the department store is like, all right, everybody, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, Santa's going to be here. And Buddy just melts down. He's like, oh, Santa, I know him. He just loses his mind, right? So that was just like the scene that kind of came to mind as I was praying with this. Okay, so like, oh my gosh, I know him. He's in our, he's in our midst, okay? And then I was sitting with this more and I was thinking, okay, so like obviously I've, I'm way too young to have ever lived through Beatlemania and I've never been one of those people who gets in lines for concerts. You know, I've never gone to like a Justin Bieber concert or a One Direction concert. I'd, I've never lost my mind, believe it or not, right? At, I know I'm wearing pink, but trust me, I've never gone to one of those concerts. So... But the closest I ever got, probably, to that kind of level of excitement, um, apart from like preaching right now, I feel like I'm dialed up to 11. <laughs> like, okay, back when I was in seminary, uh, before he was Bishop Robert Barron, Father Robert Barron came to Cleveland to our seminary to give a lecture, and I 
was freaking out like, like, you, wouldn't, like you wouldn't believe, okay? So uh, Father Robert Barron, there he is. He's lecturing in the, uh, the, the, the main, main lecture hall at the seminary, and uh, I was there front row, right in front of the podium, just like every lecturer loves. I don't think I blinked for 35 minutes just staring just in awe. I had all of my Robert Barron books with me just sitting on my lap, right? So it was, uh, it was an incredible moment. It was an incredible moment. And uh, I just was in awe listening to him lecture and teach, right? Robert Barron in our seminary, ah, right? Oh my gosh, right? So Father Barron here in our midst. So there I was, front row, all those things. So come up to him afterwards and uh, like, hi, Father Barron. My name is Patrick, and, you know, I have my stack of books. I'm like, could you sign this? And he's like, sure. And so he signs it, you know, good luck with all the things, you know, Bob Barron. I'm like, Bob Barron, right, okay. So then I, uh, he, I take that back, and I'm like, and this one too, <laughs> and then this one too, and just like all the books, he signed all my books. So then he goes off uh, and to talks to another group of seminarians, and then I went up to the podium where he was just lecturing, and I grabbed the water bottle from underneath the podium, and um, I brought it up to my room and kept it for about seven years. <laughs> just in case the Vatican, you know, 50 years from now, they're like, does anybody have any relics for you know, Robert, Robert Barron? Like, I've got a Dasani water bottle. It's got his saliva on it. You know, I don't know. First class relic. So... Uh, yeah, that's totally true story. <laughs> Maybe not the seven years part, but I did hold on to it for a long time, right? So, uh, but here's the thing, right? He was, he, he was and is such an intellectual hero of mine, and like to be there in the midst of him. He was there in the midst of us in our seminary, and it was incredible, and there was such joy. Okay, so that, my friends, is not how we want to interpret the scriptures for tonight. That is not what we mean by the kind of joy uh, that the Lord is proposing to us. It's not like, oh my gosh, God is in our midst, ah, in our seminary, right? That's not what this is about. Okay, so I was praying for, <laughs> I was praying for like a transition point because this is about to get intense and I don't have one. Okay, so we're about to transition pretty hard. So stay with me though, okay? So Here's the thing we have to answer. If we're going to actually understand what the church means by rejoice for this Gaudete Sunday, we have to ask this question. We have to answer this question um, in this sense of, like, God is in our midst. Like, where? Like, he's, he's in our midst, but where are we? That's the first thing. Like, where are we? What is the situation into which he had to come that should be, that is the cause of our joy? That's the question. Without answering that question, we're going to totally miss it. We're going to totally, totally miss it. So... Here we go. Hard transition. Stay with me. Here we go. I don't know a better place to start uh, with answering this question than from the book of wisdom, right? Old Testament writings from, uh, from the book of wisdom. From chapter 18, beginning at verse 14, we hear this. This is so powerful and so beautiful. For while gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone, thy all-powerful word leapt down from heaven's royal throne into the midst of the land that was doomed to die. So beautiful, so powerful. The midst of the land that was doomed to die. In other words, this is not, going back to Elf, this is not the candy cane forest, okay? This is, we are in Mordor. 
from J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. We are in Jadis's castle. For those of you who are Narnia fans, we're in the White Witch's castle of Narnia. We're in Pharaoh's Egypt. We are in a land that is doomed to die. I know you probably don't have the opportunity to talk to a lot of exorcists, uh, and that makes sense. But if you read their books, if you read their books over and over again, you get this sense that um, they're very clear on this, that this world is not neutral territory. That the enemy, when Lucifer was defeated by St. Michael and the angels and was kicked out of heaven, he wasn't sent into hell. He was exiled from heaven and was sent to earth. That's what the scriptures say. As Christians, modern Christians, we tend to not have that in our mind, in our modern worldview. We think of like, this is just simply neutral territory, right? And if you're one of those crazy fanatical Christians, maybe you actually believe in a personal figure called the devil, but we do. We do. And he came to this place, this world, C.S. Lewis says, is enemy-occupied territory. This is not neutral territory. It is the place into which like, it's the land doomed to die. Like, when Christ did his high dive from the royal throne of heaven and came to earth, it wasn't a celebrity visit. It wasn't as though, like, hello, humans, second person of the Trinity here, take my picture, right? That's not what this was. It wasn't a celebrity visit. It was a rescue mission, right? He is the rescuer who has come for the taken. That's us. We've been singing it over and over again in Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Right? Captive Israel. If we don't have in our hearts and our imaginations captive Israel as the starting point, then we're going to miss the whole point of this. He has come for captive Israel. He's come for the, for the captives. He's come for the hostages, for the helpless, the imprisoned, us, you and me. That's what he's doing here. Again, from the book of wisdom, through the envy of the devil, death entered the world. And, through, and, through, and those who are in his possession experience it. Like in his possession, in the possession of the one who is the enemy of our human race. And Christ came to wrest us free from the grip of that enemy to take us, to demand from him those he had taken captive, right? Humanity. That's what he's doing in his passion. That's what he's doing. He's not just simply the victim of Roman execution. He is entering into combat. That's what he's doing. His whole life was passion. Right, the passion didn't begin on Good Friday, right? His whole life, from the first moment of the Annunciation, was passio. It was the suffering. It was the emptying, right? Because in that moment, he empties himself of all of his divine prerogatives and glory, and he becomes a little empty, like little zygote in Mary's womb, emptied of his glory. Right there from the beginning, like in Bethlehem, Christmas, what we witness in a few weeks here, is the beginning of the passion of the Christ, Right? The, the, the manger is the cross in seminal form. What does the seed of the manger flower and look like in time? It looks like the cross. Like the wood, the wood of the manger becomes the wood of the cross. We don't tend to think of it this way, but from the very beginning, he is in a place to be feasted upon. He's, he's being given to men. His whole life was passio. His whole life was mission. His whole life was rescue. You and I, we were rescued by him at our baptism. If you've been baptized, that's when the rescuer like lowered the bucket from the helicopter to get you. In your baptism, in those waters, you were rescued. You were transferred. You were taken away from the enemy. It's like you went from being a child who lived in Ariel Castro's basement. Remember Ariel Castro, that guy from Cleveland? 
Years ago, he kidnapped those three girls, Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, Michelle Knight, those three young girls. He kidnapped them, held them prisoner in his basement for 10 years in shackles and chains, and abused them in ways we can't even begin to fathom. We went from being a child who lived in the basement of Ariel Castro to being a child of the good God, like a child of the kingdom of light, transferred from that place into this place of freedom and joy. Like the joy that marks today is the joy of rescue. It's the joy of being taken out of an impossible situation, a monstrous situation. It's the joy on, if you've seen the movie Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks, it's the joy on Captain Phillips' face at the end of that movie when the the Navy SEAL team, they rescued him from those Somalian pirates who had taken him hostage. It's the joy of those 33 Chilean miners who spent 90 days underground convinced that this is where they were going to be entombed. And when they breathed fresh air for the first time, it's the joy of Amanda Berry and Gina DeJesus and Michelle Knight when SWAT team members stormed the basement with bolt cutters and set them free and looked at them and said, my dear sisters, you are safe now. He will never torture you again. Like that is the joy the enemy, friends, the enemy's real, and his hold on humanity was and is real. Like, to understand the joy that's being proposed to us today, this sounds so bizarre, but we have to let ourselves, as much as we can, taste the despair of our situation without him. This is not neutral territory. The thrill of joy, the thrill of hope that we'll sing at Christmas The reason why the weary world will rejoice is because the rescuer has come. But it goes deeper, it goes deeper, it goes deeper. And I want to take us two steps deeper in this. Like the joy of discovering not only has someone has has come for me when I thought it impossible against all odds, but like he who is love himself and mercy himself and tenderness himself and beauty himself, the discovery that like, that he is awaiting me in the midst of the two scariest places that none of us want to go. First, namely, is this, that he is waiting for me. He is waiting for you. He's already present in the depths of your heart, in the worst parts of your story, in the stinkiest places of your story, in the embarrassing and shameful places. Like, God himself is there in the midst of that. Like, we have so many opportunities here at Sacred Heart and in the diocese right now to go to confession. we got the communal penance service next week. We've got confessions all the week leading up to Christmas. And again, if you haven't been in a long time, I'm begging you to go. Because when you go to confession, what you'll discover, a real heartfelt confession, when you come bearing your heart to him, with all of that junk and all of that brokenness and all of the stuff that you're most ashamed about and stuff, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. You crack that open, right? And like Martha, you're going to say, Lord, there's a stench. Just let it stay closed. And he says, roll away the stone. Open your heart, which you'll discover that he's already there in the midst of that. In the midst of that. In the midst of the worst stuff that your heart has to offer. And he's there, not with condemnation, but with mercy and tenderness with mercy and tenderness. There's only one thing that the church gives priests to say in response to confessions. It's, I absolve you from your sins. Like, no matter what a person has done, that's the only response. St. Augustine said, 
1,700 years ago, Lord, I gazed into my darkest depths, and I saw you there, and I was astonished. That's the joy. That's the joy that Gaudete Sunday is proposing to us. But again, one step further, there's more, that the joy of discovering that in the midst of my final moments, like on my deathbed, that he is there also in the midst of it. That he has not abandoned me. He has not abandoned you. He's not abandoned us to the scariest place, our last breath. But he has already gone there. Like we don't have a God who, it doesn't, who hasn't tasted death. Think about that. He who is life has conquered death. He has tasted death. That the worst and scariest place for all of us is a place that he's already gone. He's already awaiting you there. Like your deathbed, my deathbed, whenever that moment comes for any of us, and none of us know, but that moment is not a moment of abandonment and isolation as if God says, okay, well, I'll see you on the other side. You got this. It's a moment that he's, he's already been to and he's waiting there. Because of Jesus, death is not isolation or abandonment. It is communion. It is a hand being held out to us. Every deathbed already has the Christ in it. He's already waiting there, which means that in the midst of the scariest thing imaginable, love is there. Love is there. How is that possible? I don't know, but it's there. Like the joy, friends, the joy that's being proposed to us today, the joy that's being proposed to us today is not just the mere like sighting of a celebrity. Like, wow, I can't believe he's here. The joy that's being proposed to us is the fact that divine love, an incredible, unfathomable love, meets us in our deepest human poverty. Like the poverty that you can't save yourself. The poverty that you can't fix your broken heart. The poverty that you can't buy your way out of your death. Love, love meets us right there at our poorest, at our weakest, at our littlest. When we have so nothing to offer, we were, when we are so unimpressive, love, love, love meets us there. Love comes to us there. I just pray, friends, that we discover again on this, this third Sunday of Advent that like the joy, the joy of being rescued, the joy of being redeemed, the joy of being accompanied in our poverty. Like this is everything, friends. This is, this is the Christian mystery. This is Christmas. This is, this is why we'll sing joy to the world. This is, this is everything. He didn't show up because we had an impressive human curriculum vitae. He, didn't, he wasn't born because he's like, you know what? Y'all been doing great. I'm going to bless you with my presence. He came because we needed him. And it's okay to need him. It's okay to be so needy. Because we have a God who just empties himself out into the depth of our poverty. He ain't a celebrity. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us in all of it. He's in our midst. In the midst of the things that we can't imagine him being in the midst of. He's right there. He's right there in the midst of it. Amen.